Last week we spoke about Abel and the upside down world, and I think I call the sermon the vanity of life. If you if you go on our website, we are just Christians.com, it, it recording is there, and I think it's called Abel and the Vanity of Life. Abel being the son of Adam and Eve, who was killed. And then so we connected up this word Abel with what Solomon was saying that life is vanity. And I won't go back over all of that this morning. We'll go back over a little bit of that because I think it's an important idea for people that live in turbulent times like we do um, to understand these things and not be taken aback or surprised or discombobulated because of the things that are going on in the world as if it's something that is odd. Now, I've titled the lesson this morning, which is a connected lesson, The Upside-Down World in Habakkuk. And that probably is really odd because you don't know what in the world I mean by upside-down world and you've never read the book of Habakkuk. So we're probably doubly confusing. We'll try to resolve some of that as we go along this morning. But I do want to connect up this lesson we had on Abel last week and Ecclesiastes with this small little book in the Minor Prophets of Habakkuk that's often overlooked. We're only going to be able to skim across the surface of it, but I think it is connected and it might help us to see the world we live in. If you look at history, and we don't study history anymore except through the lens of identity politics, and so it's very difficult to understand what really has happened when we do that. But when you look at the the course of history, you will see that as someone said, although history doesn't repeat itself, it often rhymes. You'll see patterns in history. One of the things that people have noticed, and I've read two or three articles on this in the last few years is that that there are periods of history that are like others and we go through cycles every five generations of people there is a cycle that we go through of the different kinds of people each generation is and we ourselves notice the difference between the world war ii generation and the baby boomers which is my generation and then whoever comes after me generation x or the millennials you know we notice these differences in the different generations. Sometimes they're significant. Sometimes it matters. The differences matter. Sometimes they don't matter. They all impact spirituality, though, these changes, and they are different. And you'll see then, if you look at history, that periods of time like the late 1700s and then in the 1840s and 50s were periods of great turbulence in society on through the 1860s, and then you get around the turn of the the 20th century, 1914, and you you see these periods of turbulence that happen coming out of relatively calm periods of time, like the 80s and 90s in our country. Most of us don't live long enough or don't pay attention enough to see this, but historians notice these patterns. We are now, I believe, entering a period of great, have already been in for a little while without realizing it, period of great turbulence around the world. It isn't just the United States. It isn't just evolving the issue of abortion or something like that. It's it's a greater issue than that, of turbulence all around the world. And this has got a lot of people thinking that it's the end of the world, which probably isn't the end of the world. I don't think I don't think it's the end of the world based on the Bible anyway. It could be the end of the world. It could happen in the next 15 minutes for all I know. But I don't think what we're seeing around the world is a sign of the end of the world any more than it was in 1840 or 1780. It's not that. It's just human generations. And that's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. The world just goes around, one generation passes, another one comes along, and and it ends up back in the same place. It all ends up in the same place. It's kind of where we are. 
But what we see in this from the book of, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we saw last week that in the end, it's all pointless, frustrating, upside down. It doesn't fit what we think it should be. Even people that don't believe in God are complaining about things are not what they should be. And, and that's interesting to say. We'll come back to that. Hold on to that thought, but let's just go to the book of Habakkuk. Let's, let me stop my introduction. Let's just go read some of this book. And I want to show you something that is, is, is there, but it may not be easy to get out. That's the difficulty sometimes of reading the prophets. They're filled with figurative language. We always want to make it about America in the 21st century or the destruction of Jerusalem or something. We always want to make it about something it probably wasn't about because it is figurative language and oftentimes filled with metaphors and other things like that. And, and sometimes just speaking of specific historical events that surround that book, but we haven't taken the time to look at that because after all, it's history. And so we don't want to know that. I taught history. I know how I was that teacher in junior high that taught history and geography. Just lovely subjects everybody just wanted to learn all about, right? And geography. Do we have to know places? Yeah, it's geography. Well, that's not fair. Okay. Do I have to be able to spell the places? Well, only if you want to get the answer correct. They didn't like my answers, you know. But And we go to history. Mr. Schmidt, do we have to know the years? Only if you want to pass. I, I don't care. I don't know, but... Of course you have to know the year's history. But anyway, this is where we... I have a feeling if you're teaching social studies now, you get the same questions out of this generation too, don't you? How many of you ask these same questions in eighth grade history? Do I have to know the year? Oh, anyway, where am I? Habakkuk, a minor prophet, meaning he didn't write a long book. His period of time is just before Jerusalem was destroyed in 605 B.C., Israel had been through turbulent times. Kings were coming and going. There had been some minor incursions and invasions. The northern kingdom had already been destroyed by the Assyrians a hundred years before. Oh, I'm not even showing you this, huh? What happened here? I blame Comcast. What's that? Travis. It's Travis's fault? <laughs> yeah. Let's see if we can just kill the... Uh, the um, See if that works. Sorry, thanks for pointing it out. I, I can't see what's behind me. Okay, let's go to the book of Habakkuk. Sorry about all that. This is a live show. There's no editing here. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, they call these vision, the word sometimes is translated vision, sometimes it's called an oracle or a burden. You know, when the Lord showed these prophets these visions, and showed them what his word was. Usually he was doing so because it was going to be a judgment. Something heavy. And it becomes a burden that the prophet bears. Because who gets to go take this message to the people who don't want to hear what he has to say? The prophet does. And so it's a burden to the prophet. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. So he asked this question. Habakkuk looks around. He sees that Judah... The kingdom he's part of is wicked. The leaders are wicked. They're worldly. They don't pay attention to God. The people are wicked and immoral. He sees all kinds of injustice 
and terrible, violent things happening all around in Jerusalem and other places. Habakkuk has seen this. Anybody seen this in America? Well, of course we complain about it all the time. And Christians say, when's God going to fix all this? I just wish the Lord would come and fix this. I hear Christians saying, and I cringe. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Uh, maybe the Lord can come some other time after I'm dead. That's what I say after reading the prophets. I'm saying, let the Lord come some other time, and not now I'm alive. Maybe wait till my grandchildren are gone, and then we can think about it. But they're begging the Lord to come today. Okay? Habakkuk sees this. He says, it's not right. Things aren't right. They're all messed up. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear me? I keep praying that you'll do something about this wickedness and this uh, topsy-turvy, upside-down world, but you're not listening. Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. We read of this violence every single day if you pay attention. In fact, it's so bad that people don't pay attention anymore. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? Why do I have to see this? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. We don't see justice happening. Habakkuk didn't see it happening. The people of the judges are wicked. They're just as crooked as everybody else. The lawyers, the police, everybody is dishonest. That's why we can't have any nice things in America. Because there aren't honest people everywhere. Everybody's dishonest. So you can't have a password. They have to change every few minutes because there's dishonest people everywhere and doing everything, ruining your life. You can't, you can't leave anything out. Everything's got to be under lock and key. Then you got to find the key. Sound, the sounds of what a back, because people, lawyers multiply like flies on dead meat because nobody's honest. Not to say anything bad about lawyers. Who would want to do that? They might sue me. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. This is his view of Judah. And it sounds familiar to me, what he's saying. He cries out to God. How long is it going to be before you do something about this? And we go back to what we saw last week. That this word that Bible mentions for this thing is vanity. Habel, Habel, Abel, the same name as this first character in the Bible, Abel. That's the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes for the vanity of vanities. It means that which is empty, something trans, it means unsatisfactory, and it seems like it doesn't make sense. It's upside down and backwards. And so what you see is that God appealed to Cain to do the right thing, when he was dealing with his brother Abel. But Cain wouldn't do it. He killed his righteous brother and then asked God to spare him. And you know, God did it. God spared Cain the death that he deserved, that he pronounced on others who took life. He spared Cain. And he ended up living a long and prosperous life under the protection of God. God even protected him. said, put a mark on Cain so no one would hurt him. This is a puzzling thing when you think about it. God put a mark on this man, the first murderer, who killed a righteous man who was worshiping God properly, and God loved him for it. He killed that man for no reason except jealousy, and God put a mark on Cain so no one would hurt him and he could live a long and prosperous life. 
Does that sound right to you? This is how the Bible starts. This is the beginning of the Bible. A world that's upside down and doesn't make sense. You see. He had many descendants. He found a city. So you see this upside down world in Ecclesiastes. And that's why Solomon say in chapter 7, for example, we saw this last week real quickly here. I've seen everything in my days of vanity. Abel, Abel, the same name as, word as this man's name in the beginning of this uselessness. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Guy tried to kill a candidate for the Senate, I think, in New York the other day. Jumped on stage with a weapon in his hand. Tried to stab him before and he did stab him. I think he, they finally pulled him off of him and hauled him away. And the congressman said, he'll be out of jail before I can get out of this place, before I can leave. And sure enough, New York City, New York bailed him right out. He's back on the street. Does that sound right to you? Now, of course, if he had been a Democrat, he wouldn't have happened that way, but he was a Republican, so you let this guy go. You know, that's how it works. I mean, and that is that right? No. Would it be right if it was the other way? No, it wouldn't be right. But that's where we are. That's, I can only I can think of a thousand examples. There is, one guy summarized, there is Abel or vanity that is done on the earth, that there are righteous to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, that there are wicked to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous, and I saw that this is all, he's paraphrasing Ecclesiastes. Sometimes the disobedient receive a blessing while the obedient receive curses. Sometimes the abusers are exalted and protected while the children suffer. And sometimes justice entirely loses. This happens in churches where they protect abusers. Happens in businesses where innocent people are fired and guilty people or wicked people remain and get promoted. People lie about you, they get promoted, you get demoted. We, we've all seen this. This is the way the world operates. And the thing is, it's worse today than it was some years ago. I'm old. I can say that. It's not the same as it was. It's always been this way, but sometimes, some generations, it gets worse. I did a sermon, oh, eight or ten, maybe more years ago. You can probably look it up on our website, We Are Just Christians. But I think I called it, Grandpa, Tell Me About the Good Old Days. You know that song, Grandpa, Tell Me About the Good Old Days? There was a time when daddies didn't really go away. There was a time when men told the truth to each other. There was a time, you know, when there was a time. Truth is, there was a time like that. And it cut across all racial and economic lines. People were different. Didn't have anything to do with poverty. Didn't have anything to do with color. Had to do with people being different. Alexander Solzhenitsyn I can't quote him right now, the Russian philosopher. He said that there's a line in men, I'll call it a vertical line, that cuts across humans. It doesn't cut, Marxists will tell you that the real dividing line between good and evil is you have the rich up here and you have the poor down here or you have the black up here or white up here and the black down. There's this line of good and evil that cuts across horizontally across societies. Solzhenitsyn said, no, the line is vertical. It cuts, cuts across every human heart, from the rich to the poor, the black to the white. It cuts right across every human heart between good and evil. And every human heart has both, and they have a choice to make about both. Whatever class they belong to, whatever society they're in. This is the problem. We, don't, we, begin, we want to find solutions in something that isn't the problem. 
And we find out that injustice in some societies reigns. So we have this upside-down world in Habakkuk too, though. This is not like Solomon's time uh, earlier in Israel's history. This is now at toward the end of the history of Israel and Judah, this upside-down world. And so he cries out, as we saw a moment ago, why are you, when are you going to do something about this? Look at the wickedness everywhere. God, why do, how long do I have to cry out and you won't do anything about it? People are saying that today. Here's the Lord's answer. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look among the nations, he says, and watch. Lift up your eyes, Habakkuk, look out among the nations. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe even though I told you. I'm going to do something in your days that when I tell you, you won't believe it. Look out among the nations, he says, for indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Terrible here means not terrible like I had a terrible sub sandwich. Terrible means full of terror. The real meaning. They, they inspire fear and terror. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from their, from themselves. They don't have justice and dignity that proceeds from God. They have it from themselves. Whatever they want to do, they do. And they demand that you do just like that. That's this nation I'm going to bring upon you. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. The cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like the sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. You want to know the answer? Why don't I come? Okay, Habakkuk, I'm going to tell you something. You won't believe it. I'm coming. But I'm bringing the Chaldeans with me. They're going to judge this nation. They're going to destroy this nation. And he tells, and he goes, there's more of this passage. You can read the whole thing. I just put, took part of it. They are swift and evil and ruthless, violent people I'm bringing upon Judah. I'm going to destroy you. Habakkuk goes, what? You can't do that. In other words, God said, I told you you wouldn't believe me. And guess what? Habakkuk didn't believe him. We want God to judge this nation and straighten everything out. Well, I have some examples in the Bible how he's going to do that. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard if God does it that way because the world's upside down. So Habakkuk pleads with God. Verse 13. Uh, Here's a long, I'm just pulling a section out of this longer passage. He says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. Oh, you couldn't even look upon these Chaldeans. How can you use them? They're wicked and cannot look upon wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? In other words, yeah, I know we're bad, God, but just back off a minute. The Chaldeans are worse. Yes, God says, I know. That's why I'm bringing them. If you want God to judge the United States of America, there's a good chance, and I'm not saying America is Israel. Don't misunderstand the point I'm making. I'm making that God doesn't change the way he does things. He operates in general principles the same way he always has in judging among people and nations. He operates the same way. 
And when we call God's judgment upon America because we're bad, it's very likely he will bring a nation or people even within our nation that are much worse than the ones we're dealing with. Much more violent and vicious to straighten things out. What do you think it's going to take to straighten out the United States of America or any other country? Usually it takes complete upheaval. A shattering. A shattering of the institutions and of the system that you have. Do you want that? Do you think they're going to come in and keep the, the court system and all the, the Bill of Rights that we have? You think gonna, the people around the world look at our Bill of Rights, even King Charles, oh, it's just not King Charles. What's his name? That goofball that's not king anymore, or not prince anymore. Harry and those fellas, Harry and William. They're over there in England complaining about our Bill of Rights. How ter- how this stupid free speech you have in America needs to be shut down, they're saying. Who can believe we have a second amendment? Well, that's because they're English. and You guys are the reason why we have those things. No, I didn't expect them to understand. They're, they're from Europe. But what they, what I'm getting at here is that you think the people that are going to straighten out America the way it needs to be straightened out now are going to respect the Bill of Rights and only, only persecute bad people? You think that's the way it's going to be? No. Think again. You only wish it could be that way. You want more, you want to elect more politicians to do more things? Who are, where are you going to get these politicians? Same place you got the last bunch you got. From the American people. And they're corrupt. The new politicians are going to be the same as the old politicians in the long run. Because it's corrupt. This is the problem. And so a shattering often not always, but often takes place. And now the Lord answered back about, he says, you can't do this. How can you bring people that are more wicked than we are to judge us? In verse two, chapter two of Habakkuk, he says, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. We have a sign out front here. One of the problems of our sign is that the letters are small because I got too much junk on there when I designed it. And so if you leave this, inner, I was thinking, well, they're going to turn this corner up here and they're going to go slow. They can read our sign or they're going to be coming down here. going to be something for a stop. They can read the sign. No, nah, I don't think so. He says, you make these letters so big that you can be running and you can still read it. That's what they do when they design billboards, the good ones. They make it so that you can be driving 75 miles an hour and glance over and still understand it. And he says here, Habakkuk, you make this so plain. When you go out and tell the people about this vision I've had, you make it so plain that they can't miss it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. It's coming. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. There there it is in the Bible. And you say, wait for it? Well, there it is in the Bible. Wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. This is going to happen. I'm not telling you exactly when it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's a sure thing. I've already made up my mind. The Chaldeans are going to come destroy your country because of your wickedness. You've asked for it. Now it's going to happen. And so we come away with this thing personally, sometimes in person. These issues are not just society-wide. I think what's going on that we, what, what caused the turmoil in society that we see around us is that individual people have these perceptions and these feelings and these questions. Their lives are unsettled. Even among people who have faith in the Lord, 
your, our life can become unsettled and we be, begin to doubt if there's any real solution to anything that's going on around us. And so we can become discouraged. People that believe in God doubt that God cares anymore. We look at our own life as how can this happen to me? And so here are some questions. God, where, where were you when I or we need you? Where were you? Are you blind to the sin in this world or the evils? Are you blind to all these things happening? People being raped and assaulted, beaten up, killed. Property taken away, seized by the police for no good reason. Seized by others for no good reason. Where are you in this? Are you deaf to the prayers of your people? We have children caught up in all of this, seduced by the wicked porn sites and internet sites and all kind of other junk. Our children are seduced by that. Where's the answer? Oh, by the way, somebody called me a Debbie Downer last week. I resemble that remark. That, yeah, that, maybe so. I was trying not to be completely a downer, but the truth is we need to see that this is where things are and that this is the way it is. I want you to see this morning. I want you to think, you, you I want you to get it that the world's always been in this mode of upside down. Ever since God made the decision to allow Satan not to be destroyed when he deceived Eve, not to destroy Adam and Eve and start over, and not to punish Cain when he sinned, ever since God decided those things, that he would leave it alone, leave evil on the earth, let Satan have power, things have been like this. To think that you're so special, you're the first generation to ever had this problem, or you personally are so special that you're the first one to ever had this problem, is really naive. This is the human problem. There is an answer to it. There is a way out, which we'll try to talk about here real shortly. But uh, will, will I even make it? Are you even there? People, come, come, people now have concluded that God isn't there. God doesn't even exist. He doesn't care if he does exist. There's a lot of people have concluded, you know people like this. Will I make it through this trial? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things always seem to happen to bad people? Well, that's a good, those are good questions, aren't they? And they're real questions. That's my point. Because that's what Habakkuk was seeing. In Habakkuk 2.1, Habakkuk listens to what God says about this coming, about him not believing it, and then God saying that it will come like this. He said, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart, that's the wall of the city, and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So he says, I'm going to step back from my complaint for a moment and listen to what God says and see what God's going to do. In other words, the first response of Habakkuk is faith in God. That even though he doesn't see it happening now, he believes that God will fix the situation. God will correct it, both individually and as a whole. God will fix what he can. It'll have to be in God's way and God's time. That's why he says, I'm going to stand up and watch and wait to see what happens. And in verse, uh, he says in verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now that just seems like a, Throwaway verse of Habakkuk. But that statement I have highlighted up here, the just shall live by faith, is a very important passage in the Bible. In this small little book, it's repeated three or four times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. 
Those who are righteous before God will live by their faith, not always by what they can see at the moment with their own eyes, but by their faith in the character and the nature of God and in God's word. They'll live by that. That's how they'll make it through all this. Habakkuk, you're going to live, you're going to make it, and Israel would make it if they live by faith. Trust me, people don't. Now the Lord answers back again. In, another, in other places, we'll see that in a moment, but notice how this is used in Romans 1, this statement. Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which would include the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and the Jews. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the just shall live by faith. So there it is right there. Habakkuk wrote it down. The just shall live by faith. Paul says this is the cornerstone of the gospel and the belief system of the believer. The just shall live by his faith. Now then, notice the connection though. We don't always, we stop at verse 17 in our reading. It doesn't stop there. Maybe it's a new paragraph, but the word for indicates here that it's connected. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. There it is. The wrath of God is revealed. So this statement, the just shall live by faith, is connected just like it is in the book of Habakkuk with the wrath of God being revealed. And the righteous can survive that wrath. The righteous can make it through the wrath of God by their faith. That's his point. He's speaking here specifically of spiritual salvation in Christ. As whereas Habakkuk was talking about all the problems in the world, he goes on to say, "For I, for uh, what am I, did I go too far? You go back to Habakkuk now. Sorry, I deleted the slide accidentally. You, you go back to Habakkuk in chapter three. No, notice the words I have again. This is what faith is about here. This is what can help you. Though." Though means even though this, I'm going to do this, you see. Though the fig tree may not blossom, things don't happen the way they should. I don't have what I need. I'm short of money and whatever it may be. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields no longer yield food. By the way, do you realize, do you realize, I don't know what's going to happen that many, many people are now preparing for worldwide famine to hit the, hit the world in the next couple of years. Signs are already there. There are going to be food shortages all over the world. And guess what? Poor countries are going to get hit worse. Imagine that. The people that need the most food are going to get hit, and we're going to suffer too. While you not, might not be able to buy your favorite brand of water, or a specific kind of cheese that only goes with, you know, you, you may be, you may have to cut back on your luxuries as Americans. Did you ever notice how you go to the store? My wife sends me to the store for cheese. She goes, to get, buy some cheese. I'm stupid. I just go to the store and look for cheese. If I go to our simple little store, New Yorkers complain that Publix is a terrible grocery store. Tells you what I think of New Yorkers. But anyway, you go to Publix, our simple little southern grocery store, and there's a whole wall of cheese. And I stood there one day, cheese? 
you want mozzarella, you want this, you want this, you want this, you want shredded, you want this. And, and a hundred or more choices of cheese that I can just pick up and I have the money to buy it. But we're so ter- everything's so bad. But anyway, yeah. the olive may fail and fields may, fields may yield no food. This is maybe coming. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold. They're trying to convince you now. I've read several articles on this recently. The new thing that they're trying to get out of Europe the, for the global warming solution is that you and I are going to eat insects. Start looking for articles on this. You will see that they are pushing the idea that insects are more nutritious than beef. Well, I'll just tell you, I hope you enjoy that nutrition. I, I've eaten insects before as a kid, as a dare. Had some chocolate-covered grasshoppers before. But the only other insects I've eaten are accidental. Okay? <laughs> and I hope to keep it that way. But that's what's coming. They're pushing on you an electric car and eating grasshoppers. That's the solution to all the world's problems. Yep. Even though this may be in your future, yet I, yet, though and yet are in contrast. This is what is happening in the world and what other people are doing. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. For the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on high hills. So this is Habakkuk's answer. Yet, though it may be this way, yet in my faith I will do this. I will not lose heart because I have to eat grasshoppers. I will not lose heart when all these things happen because I trust the God of my salvation. Notice as we go through here real quickly that we can connect up this other kind of faith. This passage is being used about faith, living by faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, back to the same kind of... It just struck me reading this the other day, trying to study some of this, how often this violence and wrath and vengeance is linked up with faith. On the one side, you see this upside-down world where all these things are, then you see God's vengeance coming, God's wrath coming, and you see the need for faith in this. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. We know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is really what he's telling Habakkuk. Your word, Habakkuk, I understand. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. It's just that Habakkuk didn't like the way he was going to pay pay them. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is why I don't pray for God to come and judge this country or me. I, I may be wrong about that. I may be cowardly. But the Bible clearly says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You better be cautious. You better do something about it before he comes. He's so merciful that if enough people beg him and repent, he won't, he won't judge us. People were glad when when Roe was overturned because now America's this and that and the other. And I'm like, well, okay. That's a start. It's a good thing. We should be glad. Fewer babies would be killed for no good reason. Have people really repented though? Do you see repentance in the United States? I see bombing clinics that try to save babies. That's what I see. Burning down the clinics 
to try to save a few babies here and there. I don't see any repentance. So is God's judgment being turned away? Don't know. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, though. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly, he says, while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you would become companions of those who were so treated. Christians today are a spectacle in the world. They are disrespected, they are hated, they are hounded because of their beliefs in the Creator and in moral uprightness. Hounded and persecuted, castigated, people lose their jobs over it. Partly while you were made a spectacle and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my change, Paul says, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Paul says, you tried to help me even though it cost you, cost you things. You tried to help me as an apostle. And you did that because you have faith in the word of God that you will be rewarded for this. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You need endurance. What, what Christians, what, what you need is endurance. In the face of this upside-down world around you, both in a society way and personally, you need endurance. That's staying with it, staying true, staying the course, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he quotes the Old Testament, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Sounds like Habakkuk, isn't it? Just a little while. He's going to come. He's not going to tarry. Now the just shall... He goes on to say, guess what? Guess what he quotes in verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. For we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, there's a lot more to say. Our time is far gone this morning. But this is the prelude to chapter 11 where he talks about faith being action. Faith is doing something, not just saying, I believe. It's doing what God wants you to do. And he says, we are those who are going to have to live by this faith and not draw back because we're afraid anymore. So I want to encourage you. We could more more to say, and I apologize for going so long this morning. that what we need is confidence in God's character and his justice. And we personally have to do what he says. So this morning as we close, we're going to sing here the song that we had up here a little while ago, (coughs) number 380, Just As I Am, as an invitation to you. If you need to obey the gospel of Christ, you come this morning. Believing in Jesus Christ, confessing your sin, humbling yourself before God, and, and in faith then will baptize you into Christ. Christ will wash away your sins. You can be his child. You can begin this journey of faith. If you've caught up, been caught up in the wickedness around you, done and said things for which you are rightfully ashamed, you need to receive forgiveness for that from God. Let us pray with you about that this morning. Get you back on the right course if we can. Let your brothers and sisters help you. You come to the front this morning and we'll help you with that. Can we help you? Let's stand and sing.